0: Reading this afternoon comes from two places. The first is Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, and we'll read from verses 12 through 19. Proverbs, chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, he shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers, Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. These six things the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that, sh- that that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And then we'll also turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament. The book of Acts in chapter 4, beginning at verse 32 and reading into chapter 5. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, Neither did, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among, whom, among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, "'Tell me whether you sold the land for so much?' And she said, "'Yes, for so much.' Then Peter said to her, "'How is it that you have agreed together "'to test the Spirit of the Lord? "'Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband "'are at the door, and they will carry you out.' Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband.' So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. As far our scripture reading for this afternoon, and in connection with these scripture readings, we will also read from the Heidelberg Catechism. As tonight we will be looking at the Ninth Commandment. The Heidelberg Catechism, if you turn to page 80 in the back of your Psalter, Lord's Day 43 page 80 in the back of the Psalter, Lord's Day 43. Here we read question 112. It asks, What is required in the Ninth Commandment? And the answer is is that I bear false witness against no man nor falsify any man's words, that I be no backbiter nor slanderer, that I do not judge, nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard, but that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judgment and all other dealings, I love the truth, Speak it uprightly and confess it. Also that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. Children, have you ever spoken a mean word about someone else when they weren't around? Maybe told a story about them that you weren't really sure was true? Well, there was this peasant many years ago, and he had told a story that he found out was not true, an evil story about his friend. And his conscience bothered him, and he knew he had done something wrong. So he went to the monk at that time and said, what must I do? And so the monk said, well, if you want to make peace with your conscience, go home, get a bag, fill it up with a whole bunch of goose down feathers and go around the neighborhood and put one feather on each doorstep and so he did that until his bag was empty and he comes back to the monk and says there i've done my penance is that good and the monk says no and i'll go pick them all up again and he goes well that's impossible the wind has blown them all away and then the monk told him that's what happens with words they're easily easy to drop good or bad but no matter how hard you try, you can never get them back again. You remember last week we spoke about the Eighth Commandment that says, you shall not steal. When you steal, you're taking something that belongs to somebody else, and you're trying to gain at your neighbor's expense. But with stealing, if you... Turn, repent and return, there's a possibility to give back what you've stolen. There's a possibility to repay the person you've stolen from. But now with the ninth commandment, you also try to gain at your neighbor's expense. But you do it through words, through telling lies or bearing false witness about your neighbor. And like those feathers that blew away, you can never get those words back. Lying words, children, are like a sharp nail. A sharp nail that you can hammer into a piece of wood. And when you realize you've done wrong, you can pull that nail out. But you can never remove that hole again. You can never remove the hole that the nail has made. You can never remove the hole that your words have made. When you've spoken wrongly about someone. And that's why the Lord tells us in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16, the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Because bearing false witness is lying. And so whenever we speak, we must ask ourselves, is that the truth? And that's our theme for this afternoon. Is that the truth? And we'll see first that God forbids lies. God forbids lies. We can read, Paul says in Titus 1, he says that he is a servant of God according to the faith of God's elect according, and, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, he says, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Our hope of eternal life depends on the truth of God's promises. If God could lie, then how can we ever trust the promises in the Bible? But we know that God is a God of truth, a God who cannot lie. And that means His Word is truth. That means His promises are truth. And because God cannot lie... He is also the standard for truth. He's the source of truth. And He's the authority of all truth. And so we must always go back to God and to His Word for what is truth in this world. Because in our culture, in our world, they don't see it that way. The culture says truth is whatever you want it to be. They say what is true for you might not be true for me. But that very idea rejects God as a source and the authority of truth, and it rejects God Himself. And so God forbids all lies. And He shows us where it comes from, where it originates from. It comes from Satan. And that's what the Lord Jesus said in John 8, verse 44. He told the Pharisees, He said, You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Satan brought lies into this world. You remember, uh, boys and girls, when he came to Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 2, verse 17, God had told Adam that... The day you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But Satan came to Eve and said, has God really said? See, and he turned it around and he said, you won't certainly die, but you'll become like God to know good and evil. He wanted Eve to think that what God said was not true. He wanted to reverse the roles and, and make them doubt what God had said. And so when we lie, we, as the Lord Jesus says, are doing like the father of lies, like Satan. Uh, the lies stem from Satan. And then we listen to him instead of God. And so but why do we lie? Besides the very fact that we're fallen in sin and corrupt in our hearts from the very being until the Lord saves us, what are some reasons maybe? lying, always seeks to promote ourselves at the expense of someone else. Lying comes from that sinful motivation out of the depths of our heart. We're born with that inclination to lie. And believers still have that indwelling sin within them them as well that has to be mortified and put to death. But one of the reasons is pride. That was Satan's own problem. He was proud. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to have that that dominion in this world, even though he's created as one of the brightest angels, he was not satisfied. But when we are proud or in our pride, we want to impress others. And so we may lie out of pride. Or pride makes us want to avoid embarrassment. So we don't want to admit if we have done something that other people might think was foolish. But another reason is fear we lie to defend ourselves. Fear of being caught. Children, if you've stolen a candy like we told about, uh, talked about last week, and your parents come around the corner and see the candy wrapper, and, and they ask you, did you take a candy uh, without asking? And the first thing you might say is no. Why? Because you know if you were caught, you're going to get trouble. Fear of being caught makes you lie. But adults also lie. For that same reason fear the consequences sorry officer i didn't realize it was a school zone you might come up with an untruth with a lie to try get out of the out of the situation but the problem is with adults they become more deceitful more skilled in lying and that's why sin must be cut off at the root when it's in its smallest form we must root out sin early in our life there's also fear of persecution like peter he was worried what would happen When they asked him if he knew the Lord Jesus before he was crucified. And he denied knowing the Lord out of fear. But we lie out of selfishness, selfish motivations. We lie out of hatred. Hatred for other people. When we falsely accuse them or say something against them that was intended to hurt them. One example from scripture might be Joseph and Potiphar's wife. When Joseph was doing his his business, Potiphar, his wife, tried to seduce Joseph, but he would not. And then when she finally grabbed him by the coat and he ran away, she turned it into a lie and said, he tried to attack me. And Joseph ended up having to go to jail. Hatred or envy or revenge was the motive. But there's also greed. Lying about the product you may be trying to sell. Because you want the most money you can get for it. You don't want to be truthful about your car or the condition that it's in or the house, how much renovations really need to be done. You want to just sell it quickly and not have people really inquire, and you hide the truth. And so we need to ask are we telling the whole truth? Can you be trusted when you speak with other people? And so God forbids lying because it's harmful to others. So what are some of the ways we may lie? This command says bearing false witness. Bearing false witness is, is falsely condemning somebody, somebody for something they never did. Falsely condemning them without having heard their side or based on, on rumors. Even if you think it's true. If you don't know for sure, and he begins spreading this story, it's a lie. And the official, the place that it's done, especially is in court, where it's called perjury, bearing false witness in court, not telling the truth, not telling the whole truth or twisting the truth. And that's why the Lord also put safety barriers in place. In Deuteronomy 19, he said there needed to be at least two witnesses to be able to accuse a person. Because in those days, in the Old Testament, the death penalty was often required for many crimes. And so if a person was accused, he would face the death penalty. And so if he was falsely accused, he would be falsely or put to death for no reason. And last week we read the story about Ahab and Jezebel and the, the vineyard they took from Naboth. You remember what Jezebel did? She had false she had people come to give false accusation against Naboth to say that he blasphemed God and the king. And he, she used that false, false accusation to have him stoned to death. And so you can see that false, falsely accusing your neighbor is hatred. It's, it's murder. And you can see how closely these commandments are all linked together. But then the, the catechism in the Scripture also uses the word backbiter or slanderer. It means to insult somebody or to gossip about them behind their back. Spreading stories or spreading lies, even if you don't think of it as a lie. But if it's not true, your words will blow around the country like those feathers. never Never to be able to retrieve them again. And so do we ever talk about somebody behind their back? Something that you know you would never say to them to their face then you need to be careful. How do you talk about other people? We can even think about exaggeration, those fishing stories, or how well you did in your game. Aren't those just little lies to make yourself look better? But I want to focus on two other ones a little more, and the one is silence. You lie by your silence. If you know the truth, and your silence can also hurt others. This morning we heard about the watchmen in the city. And their silence, if the enemy was coming, would cost the city, the, the, the people of the city, their lives. I have a simple example from when I was young. I dropped a shampoo bottle and it broke. And so my parents saw it and they asked, who did that? A lot of them, a lot of my siblings said, not me. But I remained silent. And so they started de- trying to determine who it was and they started giving my brother trouble. But see, God has also given us a conscience. And when our conscience begins to work, our conscience knows who's the guilty one. And when a conscience works, it also shows in our cheeks as we start to glow a little. And Then they found out who was the guilty one. See, but my silence made my brother begin to get trouble for something I had done. When we keep silent, we do it in the hopes that the problem will pass by and we'll get away with whatever happened. Silence tries to preserve ourselves even at the expense of others. And it comes at the expense of someone else. So there's silence when you get too much change from the teller and you see that they've paid you too much and you don't say anything. You just quietly keep it. Silence when you know someone else is lying, but you don't call them out on it, especially at work or in sales where you're trying to sell something to other people or... Whatever it may be, you know that someone else is lying, and you know that you are gaining by their lie, and you're not telling, you're not being honest that they are lying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said Silence in the face of evil is itself evil, and God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. And another quote says, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. We can think of some of the obvious things in our society. Silence on the issue of abortion. A lie that says that children in the womb are not alive, not people. And that lie is costing millions of babies their lives. There is a silence of many people on the gender issues in our country who is speaking up for the truth for marriage and male and female and husband and wife in marriage. This is also costing people their lives. And you can likely think of more ways. But then we also can think of accusing God. Because false accusations go further than just accusing other people, our neighbor. When God asked Adam why he ate from the forbidden fruit, he said, Well, this woman who you gave to me. See, Adam was pointing the finger at God and said, You gave me this woman. So, how often do we blame God for what happens, for disasters? for troubles, for afflictions in our lives. Even this morning we heard about the Israelites in Babylon, and they were also pointing the finger at God. And they said, God is not fair in what He is doing. But God turned around and said, you're not fair. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, like I have told you. And we need to begin blaming ourselves. All the troubles in this world are caused by sin and the curse due to sin. God had told his people in Leviticus 26 that if they obeyed God's laws and kept his commandments, he would bless the land with peace and prosperity. But if they disobeyed and forsook God, he would send the enemies into the land. He would send the crop failures and the drought and the diseases and the plagues. It's a picture of the curse in this world that we have not kept God's laws, that we are fallen in sin, we have not obeyed all his commandments. And yet still we complain and blame God so often when we face trials. And then we're not acknowledging our own sin. And if, as long as we cannot acknowledge our own sin, we cannot acknowledge that Christ has had to come to pay for those sins. Because all sin needs to be punished. And that's what we see in the second place, that God punishes liars. Proverbs 12, verse 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delights. God is a God of truth. And we can read in Proverbs, or what we read in Proverbs 6, verse 17 to 19, it says, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven, are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. So here at least three out of seven deal with lying. And Proverbs 19 verse 5 says that a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. And that's why I mentioned Deuteronomy 19, verse 19. God said that if somebody was caught bearing false witness against somebody else, then they themselves needed to receive the punishment for that crime. If they were accusing somebody of adultery and the punishment for that is stoning, and if they were caught bearing false witness against that person, they themselves would be stoned. That is how seriously God values truth. He punishes all liars. But it also means that God will perfectly punish all sin. And that means, therefore, that in heaven, the saints will not be able to lie anymore. All lying will be put away forever. There will be no lying and no deception in heaven. Then all they all will be perfected through Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But Revelation 22 says... Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Everyone who continues unrepented in their sins of lying will forever remain outside the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible has many examples of people who are punished for lying through their life. Last week we read about Ahab and Jezebel, how they falsely accused Naboth and had him stoned. But then the prophet came and said their punishment would be that the dogs would lick their blood in the very place that Naboth died. And their family would be cut off, would be eradicated. And in 2 Kings 5, there's Gehazi, who was a servant of the prophet Elisha. Naaman came to Elisha with his leprosy. Naaman told him to go wash in the river, but he would not take a reward. He he did not take any payment for it. But Gehazi, he wanted some of that money. So he ran after Naaman and he lied and he said, my master has changed his mind. Please give us two changes of clothing and some silver. Then he went and hid it in his house and he came back to Elisha to work. And Elisha said, where did you go? And Gehazi lied again. He said, nowhere. But Elisha says, your punishment Is that you will have the leprosy. And he left leprous. And we read also in Acts 5 about Ananias and Sapphira. They saw how some of these disciples were selling their land and giving their money to the poor. And to be recognized as as disciples and and, and Christians, giving their money to the poor. And they, they wanted that prominence. They wanted to be recognized as someone good. And so they sold their land but they kept part of the money. They didn't want to get rid of it all. They wanted their money and they wanted the prominence. And so they they brought the leftovers to, to Peter and they pretended that it was all that they had. So Peter said, why have you lied? You've li- not lied to men, but you've lied to God. And both of them died. God must punish all sins of lying. But then I want to look at one other man who was punished, not for lying, but for telling the truth, not for falsely accusing others, but because he was falsely accused himself. They asked him, are you the son of God? And he said, you rightly say that I am. They asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, it is as you say. They accused him of perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes. He was examined by Pilate and Herod, and both of them them found him not guilty, innocent of anything that they brought against him. But still, he was condemned to death falsely by crucifixion. He died the accursed death of a liar because he had been falsely accused. He died because he took that curse upon himself. God said the day that you disobey, you will die. But now Christ had to come as that second Adam. He came to obey perfectly. To obey God's laws on our behalf. Because Adam sinned and because we sinned. But Christ also came to take the place of lying sinners. To take the punishment for lying sinners. And every one of us has lied. It doesn't matter how good we are in our life. We have lied. And we don't know the deception of our own hearts when the Scripture says our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We always try to make ourselves look better than we are. We don't want to acknowledge ourselves before God as totally corrupt incapable of doing any good. And even now, when we do not believe His Word, we falsely accuse God that His Word is not true. If we do not believe what He says about sin, about eternal judgment, about hell, about our deprived condition, we accuse God of lying. But then on the other hand, if we do not believe God's promises, 1 John 5, verse 10 says, He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. So we need to be truthful with ourselves. That means we need to acknowledge our hearts are deceitful above all things. We must acknowledge that we must face God and the judgment That we must give an account for bearing false witness. But secondly, we must believe the testimony of God's Word that says that all sins against God, except this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, can be forgiven. We must believe that Christ is able to save because He has taken the punishment for liars. Because He was crucified for liars and by liars. We must believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life for sinners who flee to Him for refuge. And in the third place, God requires truth. Therefore, God also requires that we walk in the truth because the only way to be accepted by God is if we are perfectly truthful. The only way God can see us as perfectly truthful is through His Son, Jesus Christ. We need to be in Christ by faith. And so Ephesians 4, verse 22 instructs us that every believer must put off concerning the former conduct, the old man that which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, that we must be renewed in the spirit of our mind to put on that new man. And then he says in verse 25 as part of that, Putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. Speak truth with your neighbors because we are members one of another. Especially in the household of faith, you have the same body of Christ. And how can we lie against one another there? And the catechism deals with the commandments here in a section of gratitude. For the Christian speaking truth ought to be a delight and a privilege and a joy. It should be freedom, and it is freedom, to speak the truth, especially when we have done wrong. To lie after we've done something wrong is only to tie those those knots tighter. Ephesians 4 verse 20 says, You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. So speaking the truth frees us from the guilt and from the burden of sin because then it can be forgiven and taken away. But if we cover ourselves, our sins with lies, we will never be freed from it. And that's why God says, confess your faults, be truthful with God. That's why David says in Psalm 32 that while he kept silent about his sins, he felt God's, heavy, his hand, God's hand heavy upon him. But that when he confessed his sins, God forgave him. Always speak to truth, children. Even if you did something wrong. Because then and then alone can you find forgiveness and love and freedom and reconciliation with those who you've sinned against. We must speak the truth in love because love is fulfilling the law. Lying and bearing false witness are done out of hatred. Breaking breaking God's commandments is hatred toward our neighbor, but obeying God's commandments is love towards our neighbor. We need a heart filled with the Spirit of Christ, a heart filled with the Spirit of truth. That's why Paul says also, be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit, not to grieve him with our lying, not to grieve him with our sins. Then, especially in the Church of Christ, Paul writes in First Timothy three. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the Church of the Living God, the pillar and ground of truth. The Church is the pillar and the ground of truth in this world. You are to be the light of truth in this world of perverse darkness. And if you and I do not speak the truth in this world, who will? God desires truth in the inward part. And He with His Spirit writes truth on your heart and on your conscience with His Spirit. Truth is what holds everything together like that belt, like the belt and the armor of God. It holds everything together. Truth is that foundation where you can stand on even in the hour of death because truth will bear you through. It will give you peace even if the world falsely accuses you. Christ endured because He knew the truth. He stood on the truth. He was the truth. And so, boys and girls, be honest with yourself. Be honest with your neighbor. Be honest with God. And always ask yourself, is that the truth before you speak? Amen.